Nevertheless, they remain difficult, even though you know the definition. The next pasuk, the next pasuk in the in the sheet here, Latata Daber Kol the last half of the pasuk is Vasu at Big Day Aharon. These clever people, these talented people who are artisans, they will make the Big Day Aharon show. Another difficult word. Every time I get stuck on these words, show with these clothing, he will become appropriate for the avodah. That's called lekadcho. You could go into a special place. You could do a special act. You become part of a special process. All of that is lekadcho, lechahanoli, and he will be a priest. A priest meaning he can do all of these things. He can do so that the clothing. I mean, you're born into the priesthood. But that doesn't mean you could just go into the Beit HaMikdash anytime you want and do whatever you want. You've got to be appropriately dressed. You've got to be appropriately prepared. Yichus, that's very important. But Yichus has to have content. It has to have something special. There's got to be something special about that person. Pasuk Dalid. And this is uh, the beginning of our difficulty. Uh, the Pasuk says, these are the articles of clothing that we're referring to, that you have to make in order to dress the Kohen, in order that the Kohen should be special. The special, the word special is Kadosh, Le Kadsho. And the Begadim have to be Lechavod or Letiferet. Right, I keep saying the words in Hebrew that I don't really understand. I mean, I could translate them if I had to. You know, it's one of the burdens of translation. You can't get away with it. You have to translate every word. So the early translations and the modern translations, they'll all have to translate. But you have to understand that just because I, again, I say it again, I'm repeating myself. You know, there are people like that who like to repeat themselves. So I'm one of those people. So even though I can translate those words, Kodesh, Kavod, Tiferet, I, I have to say that I still don't know what they mean. I don't know how it works. How do the Begadim that the Ramban says are, are regular? You know, the Kohen, he gets a pair of pants and he gets an outer garment and he gets something to hang around his neck. And all of that, is, are things that you could probably see in Bas Relief in some museum basement, like in London, or, or, or someplace of that kind. You go to the basement, like you should know, all the good stuff is in the basement. Uh, that's, that's how they, they don't want anybody to see it. They, meaning the people who write articles about the stuff in the basement, right? They don't want anybody else to see it before they've written their articles. So it's all there, but it's all there. And the Ramban is right. You could tell the difference between the king in Egypt and the people surrounding the king by the way they dressed. The same thing is true about Bavel, Babylonia, and Persia. 
ancient person, you could say, right? So lechavod letefaret are words that indicate a distinguishing factor. You distinguish the king. You distinguish the Kohen. He's not like everybody else. He's recognizable. Today we call that a uniform. We call that a uniform. And today, everybody in the world adopts a uniform. Sometimes the uniforms change. In short... Are you asking or telling? I give up. No, it's a good question. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe it's not a question. Maybe it's an answer. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't feel that confident about this matter that I could actually answer the question. But what I want to point out is that there is a list of bigadim. In this pasuk, pasuk dalit, Right, the Kohen had a hat, he had an outer cloak, he had a pair of pants, he had a breastplate, he, he had all of these things, right? All the things, I mean, just because the words are there in the Pasuk, again, it doesn't mean that I could make them on my own, right? You have to go to the Eratika where they have the Machon HaMikdash, right here, right here in Yerushalayim, where they have models both in the uh, computer and in real, like a real model. And they have Kohanim, they're all dressed up, they wear, you can ask them, how do you know it looked like this and how do you know it looked like that? So I'm sure they'll tell you the truth. I won't. In any event, in any event, what we want to talk about tonight is what's missing from the list. What's missing from the list is the tzitz. The tzitz ha-zahav. Zahav is gold. Gold. And a tzitz, what's a tzitz? What's a good... What? A head? Yeah, but it's, it's not a band. It's a plate of gold, right, that you sort of put over here, around here, right? And on this plate of gold are inscribed the words... Kodesh Lashem, or Lashem Kodesh. It's not clear how it goes, but if you look at the next pasuk in the list of psukim, pasuk Lamed Vav, pasuk Lamed Vav, you see that? It goes Bet Gimel Dalet Lamed Vav. This was made by, by me. In fact, I didn't know what I was doing exactly. But here, look at pasuk Lamed Vav. You see? Vasita Tzitz Zahav Tahor. You make a tzitz out of pure gold. Can you do that? If you make something out of pure gold, doesn't it fall apart? Or bend? Or No? Don't you have to put in something that is... Like when we buy something made out of gold, it's not really, it's not just gold. It's something else that keeps it, makes it sturdy. No, you're not... Uh, you're not involved in this area of human endeavor? Iron is it's what? Copper. So copper is not gold, right? No, but it strengthens the gold. Otherwise, it's too Good, thank you. So when you say you make it sits out of zahab, out of gold, you mean mostly gold. Because if it's not 
got something else in it to make it sturdy, it'll just crumple. Right? Gold is very soft. Not only very soft, but it's soft. So you you make it seat zahav tahor. That's what it says in the pasuk. Zahav tahor, pure gold. Pure gold sounds like unadulterated, without anything added to it, without copper or any other kind of metal. Uh, and then, second thing says, is kodesh You have to engrave on it the words kodesh l'ashem. You have those words, right? The next pasuk, and you use a ribbon that is colored t'chelet, Visamta alav. You usually the way it's depicted is you have this plate that's about this big, right? It has a hole in either side, and you take a ribbon and you put the ribbon through the holes, either outside or inside the plate, and then you tie it onto the back of your head. How does that sound? Sounds good. Then there's another ri- ribbon that's in the front. There's a third hole in the top, in the middle and you pull that across the top of your head uh, over the, the hat that the Kohen wears, and then it's really fixed. It's fixed to his, it's fixed to his head. And then the vaya ala mitznefet. Mitznefet is the word that means the hat. What's the difference between a hat and a mitznefet? I don't know, but the mitznefet sounds serious. But it's a word that describes some kind of hat. I guess they knew what it was because uh, nobody asked the question. Elmul Peneha Mitznefet Yiyeh, that this uh, third ribbon should be about facing the Mitznefet. It'll go over the top of his, of his head. Pasuk Lametchet. This is a really important Pasuk. Vayal Metzach Aaron, Benasa Aaron, et Avon HaKodashim. Somehow, this tzitz performs an unbelievable function. And that function is that besides bringing a korban, besides doing whatever has to be done in the Beit HaMikdash, the tzitz affords some sort of atonement for B'nai Yisrael at that time. So what sort of atonement? What do they have to be atoned for? Okay, the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, uh, the holy things, the sacrifices that B'nai Yisrael give, that B'nai Yisrael give, right? the holy things that they give, and somehow something goes, gets messed up. So you know, the Chazal say, for example, for example, a Kohen is not allowed to serve in the Beit HaMikdash if he is Tamei. If he comes into contact with, say, a dead body, or he comes into contact with somebody who came into contact with a dead body. So if he serves in the Beit HaMikdash by, by mistake, he, he didn't know that he came into contact. We know that, you know, it's very hard to determine always who the people that you come into contact with and what their particular status is. So it's very difficult. So you have a built-in, a built-in way of overcoming 
that limit, the Kohen who is perhaps unacceptable for Avodah but doesn't know that, he nevertheless assumes or achieves kapara through this tzitz. Through this tzitz that he's wearing on his head. And the Gemara, interestingly enough, says it doesn't even matter if he's wearing the tzitz. It doesn't matter as long as there is a tzitz someplace, even hanging on a, hang, on a hook in the, in the Beit HaMikdash, right? It's good enough. That will serve as kapara. So the, the, the plate says on it, Kodesh Lashem, it's as though it says, in spite of what might be, in spite of the halachic problems that might have come up, this Kohen is doing the job. This Kohen is doing the job. It's an interesting idea. I mean, and it's also explains to us to a certain extent why this sits is not included in the list of begadim that are at the beginning of the parasha of Truma, right? The pasuk that we, say, we saw above, the Eila begadim, pasuk Dalid, for etc. But the tzitz is not mentioned because the begadim are lechavod uleteferet, and the tzitz is kodesh lashem. I want you to understand, understand that. And the tzitz is operative, right? The tzitz does it even if he's not wearing it. You can't say that about the begadim. You can't say that about the clothing. If he's not wearing them, he's not wearing them. He's not doing the right thing. He's, he cannot serve in the Beit HaMikdash. L understand carefully that there is a big difference between the tzitz and big day kahuna. And even though it seems to us that the tzitz is included in the big day kahuna, kahuna because that's in the parasha of, uh, of Tetzaveh, it seems to us that that's true. It isn't. The tzitz is not one of the big day kahuna. Because if you don't wear one of the bigadim, you're inappropriate. You cannot serve as a Kohen. You cannot aid in giving the Korban. You have to wear the Bigadim. But the Tzitz, the Gemara says, even if the Tzitz, he says, the Gemara says, if the Tzitz is broken, that's a problem. You have to get another one. You have to make it. But if you're not wearing the Tzitz, and the Tzitz exists, it's hanging in the Beit HaMikdash, right? It's hanging in the Beit HaMikdash. That's good, that the tzitz will provide atonement for any possible problem that came up that you don't really know about. So this is, uh, I would say, here we are. We have learned, we've learned something about the Beit HaMikdash, about the Kohen, about Big Day Kahuna, about, about the tzitz. But we came, we really came, I think, to learn what Rav Nachman had to say. So Rav Nachman deals with the problem of the tzitz in a kind of oblique way. And we're going to try to follow the way Rav Nachman thought about it now. So here it is on the sheet that you should all have. The sheet that you should all have.
Likuti Maharan. It's the first in the first section of the book called Likuti Maharan, Torah Sadi Dalit, right? Ninety-four. The, it begins with a pasuk from Tehillim, which starts with the words Zachar Chasdov Munato. Now the way Rav Nachman did it was, or he would start off with some mysterious text. In this case, it's a pasuk in Tehillim. And then he would talk about something that seemed to be totally disconnected from the pasuk or the matter which he quoted at the beginning. And then at the end of the Torah, at a tour de force, suddenly the pasuk would become, would become clear. Uh, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to just sort of skip the pasuk and go to the, to the meat. And then we'll leave the pasuk for some other time. Ha'inyan hukach. You see the end of line number one? I have, I have the, the lines are numbered. It's amazing what you can do with the computer. Ha'inyan hukach. Remember the old days where the text was unvocalized and there were no numbers telling you what line you were up to? How did anybody learn anything? I don't, I don't get it. You know, I have. I also noticed that in the old days, I used to learn Gemara. I would learn the Gemara. Now that there's Schottenstein, I don't understand anything anymore without Schottenstein. I'm something like strange. It's strange. You ready? The end of the first line. Ha'inyan hukach. Ha'inyan hukach. This is. I want to explain something to you. He says always. Shekol ha'olamot. He says, there's certain things that you have to assume. Assumption number one, you know that the, the Medrash says that God created many worlds before he got to our world, a world that God was satisfied with. So he says, he says, all the different worlds, lo nivru Yisrael. They were all created for the Jewish people. In other words, we're the only reason that they could understand that God would do what God did. Dichtiv, and he quotes a pasuk, Lichvodi berativ yitzartiv af'asitiv. Lichvodi, it was for my honor. I created, I, uh, well, these words, barati, yitzarti, asiti, those are good words. Those are verbs that are used in the parasha, in the parashiot, perek aleph, perek bet, about the creation of the world. Dahainu, bria yitzira asiyah, lo nivra, that all the things that God did were done for the honor of God. Uchvodi, that's, you know, well, what is that? What is the honor of God? Remember, we were talking about kavod, before and how it's a difficult word. So Rashi, so the Rav Nachman says that kvodi means for B'nai Yisrael. That's the kavod. When we talk about God having kavod, we mean God had Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael in mind. Uchtiv, further, he quotes a pasuk, b'shachanti betocham, I will dwell in their midst. That's, what is that? That's the Mishkan. 
Mishkan is what we're talking about. Except we were talking about Kohanim and Big Day Kohanim. But last week we talked about the Mishkan. Skip everything in parentheses you could skip. Betocho lo ne'emar ela betocham, a famous drasha of Chazal, that the Pasuk does not say in his midst, but it says in their midst. Melamed, she'akodesh bochu ma'shresh chinato betoch kol echad mi'israel. That when HaKodesh Bochu said build the Mishkan, he meant that God would dwell therein, but God would also dwell in the hearts of every single Jew. Nimtza, Nimtza, on the end of line five, Kol Echad Mi Yisrael Nekra, Levush, Levush, Levush is a clothing, but it's a word that's used in the Kabbalah to describe a reality. Like you look, you could see, right, uh, 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 like an angel, Sometimes you could see an angel. So the angel has levush, like it has reality to it. Right? So the levush, the krakavod. The way we look, that's what the word kavod means. Ki Rabbi Yochanan Kare Lemane Michabduta. He quotes a Gemara where Rabbi Yochanan, remember Rabbi Yochanan? He was the uh, Amora in Eretz Yisrael. Kare Lemane, he was also partially responsible for the redaction of the Yerushalmi. Uh, nobody's interested. Okay, cut it, erase that. Mm-hmm. He, called, he called clothing mechabduta. They have something to do with the kavod. Right? That part, the Pasuk says, lechavod uletiferet. And Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan said, oh, that's what kavod is. Kavod is the clothing. It's the way you see a person. It's what a person is able to do. Nimtza, kol ha'olamot, all the different worlds. Lo nivru'u ele b'shvil Yisrael. Summary. All these different worlds will be created for Yisrael. Kedei l'ashpia lahem ravtuv. Ukesheinam yicholim l'kabel. So here we go. Let's stop for a minute. And let me try to explain to you why the Kabbalists were so obsessively interested in the creation of the world. And why we, we don't seem to be so interested. At least we who have uh, like a literature background. You know what Litvish means? I tried to explain it last way. Litvish is unhappy. If you, if you see an unhappy Jew, you know he's a Litvak. You see a happy Jew, he's probably a Chosid. Now, why is it that the Kabbalists, there are Kabbalists mostly, let's say Hasidim, but Kabbalists, why were they so interested in the creation of the world. Why were they obsessively commenting on how it went? Why weren't they satisfied with the description in the Torah? The Torah says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and that's good. That's good for me. Any Litvak will tell you, 
Eddie Litvak will tell you, God can do anything. So God said, let there be light. So there'll be light. I mean, it's not a problem. It's not a question. It's not something you have to even think about. Right? Not everything you think about. Do you know that Litvish theology is determined by the Ganenet that you send your children to at the age of three, four, and five? She is, she is the height of, the, of, of Jewish philosophy. Because in the Gan, she has to explain how God created the world. And she does. She explains it. And in the Gan, in the Gan, she has to tell the children what Shabbat is all about. And she does. And no one ever contradicts, adds, refines the words of the Ganedet. So there are some people who say, there are some people who say, I don't know if they're right, that Jewish education in Eretz Yisrael goes backwards. Right? It starts at the highest level and goes down thereafter because by the time the child gets to the sixth or seventh grade, if he should ask, he or she should accidentally ask the question about the creation of the world, so the teacher will tell him, we don't talk about those things or you're not supposed to ask that kind of question. Here's a lollipop. Right? That's the way. But in the Gan, in the Gan, if you ask a question about the creation of the world, the Gananot and the Sayaot are happy to try to answer that question. Right? So that's the way. That's the way it is. But why was it that the Kabbalists were so interested in the creation of the world that they created structures upon structures which enabled them to understand like Rabbi Nachman is explaining I'm not explaining is that God created all of the worlds. And the reason that God created the worlds was that there should be Am Yisrael. And that Am Yisrael has to recognize the fact that the creation is just for them. I mean, why is he saying all of this? What he didn't understand, he, Rav Nachman, and before him the Arizal, and before him the earlier Kabbalists, Rav Shiva ben Yochai, and his friends, they couldn't understand. How was it that God could create a world that seemed to be such a mess? That was the question that troubled them. The world was a mess. Why wasn't it true that people did what God wanted them to do? After all, God created them. Isn't that the natural thing? Rav Nachman asked it in this way also. Isn't that the natural thing? That if your father asks you to get him a cup of tea, you don't say why. You get the cup of tea. That's what you do. So if HaKadosh Baruch says, keep Shabbos, the reasonable thing is to expect that everybody should keep Shabbos. How could it be that so many people have let into their mind somehow that you don't have to keep Shabbos? We're not talking about, about I'm, not, I'm not talking about uh, uh, whether it's uh, an Avera, if you don't know, if you do know, if you're Tinoch Shadish, but I'm not talking about, we're just talking about the, the, the phenomenon. The phenomenon, there's certain things that can't happen, right? Can't happen, Niagara Falls is not going to go backwards. Can't happen. There are certain rules of, of, uh, of physical rules and chemical rules 
that, that exist in the world that we live in and that we can discern. We can find them. And we don't ever expect the rule to be abrogated. Even if you think that God could abrogate the rule, right? he could stop the sunrise and the sunset. And all, but it doesn't happen. It's not the world we live in. So how is it possible that when HaKadosh Baruch asked the people, the Jewish people, is the Jewish people to bring a cup of tea. How come in the next week's parasha they built the golden calf? How could it be? Where was the fault? This was the question that the Kabbalists asked. And they could not understand how it was possible that we, the Jewish people, were not impressed overwhelmed, uh, uh, un unable to deny the obligation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us clearly, after all, Har Sinai, was kind of a, a real connection. <coughs> B'nai Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu were together at that moment. And as soon as Moshe Rabbeinu disappeared for 40 days and 40 nights, people started to wonder about their commitment. So this was the problem. This was the problem that the Kabbalists saw as being uh, essential. They had to solve this problem. And so if you look at the, how the Rav Nachman continues, you look at Rav Nachman. So we're up to, uh, up to someplace here. Uh, I'm in line seven. Beginning of line seven, Kidei Lashpia Lem Rav Tov. It was God wanted goodness to come to Bede Yisrael. So God wants to give us good, wants it to be good for us. But when we deny Him, when we deny the mitzvot, when we do avonot, we transgress, then it, it, it can't, can't happen. The goodness is not going to happen. It's as though God has, is despondent. Another pasuk in Yeshaya called Saratam Litzar. Ah, I mean, I don't want to. I mean, that's what the pasuk says. It's, uh, he has this amazing knack of finding pasukim that agree with him, Rav Nachman. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. Ah, Machmat Behirut Or Hachesed, but. Because at the same time, there is the light of the light of chesed. So God has to, in order for God to give us the good, in spite of the fact that we've done bad, right, God wants to bestow upon us goodness, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. So there has to be tzimtzum. Oh, wow, that's a word. The Kabbalists loved that word. They loved it. Tzimtzum means to lessen, to make yourself small. Make yourself small. That, that God had this op option of kind of having less God, taking up less room, less effective, Less effective, and he says, he says, 
צריך לדבר. What's less God than God? Dibur. What's more than the Dibur is speaking. When God speaks, but there's nothing else, there's only speech, is less God. And you know that the Rambam also says that, the Rambam Nebuchim, says that God, you know, the Rambam didn't like the idea that God was like uh, anthropomorphic. The Rambam didn't like that. He thought God was God. So what do, you, what do we mean when we say that God speaks? So the Rambam said, well, God created the voice. It wasn't like God's voice. It was a created voice, and the created voice spoke. And that the Rambam was happy with that. I don't know if everybody else is happy with that, but he was happy with that. So that dibur equals tzimtzum. It's less God. It's not like God at Har Sinai. Har Sinai, there were clouds, and there was, there was the sound of the shofar, and there was thunder and lightning and speech. It was all there, everything. So that tzimtzum, tzimtzum is lidaber, to speak. Yiyekach kemoshe katuv, another pasuk, right, v'autiyot, hey, I'm at the parentheses on, on line 10. Autiyot hem tzimtzumim. Autiyot hem tzimtzumim. So if you look at dibur in terms of otiyot of letters, so you have easier access to God. You could connect to God. So the chesed that God wants to bestow upon us can come through us through this lesser uh, 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 manifestation of God because the fuller manifestation of God is connected to justice and punishment and we won't be able, we will all be able to overcome but you know because, because everybody knows that God has different faces. There's a face of, judge, of judgment, right? Harsh and difficult and in judgment you can't get away with anything. But then there is also the God of mercy. So what's the difference? Where is the God of justice and where is the God of mercy? The God of mercy is a kind of tzimtzum because the God of justice is always there. It's always beyond. It's always something that we worry about that we have to take into consideration. But the God of, of, uh, of mercy right, is, is like tzimtzum. God said, you're not getting all of God. You're getting only a part of God. And that that part of God that you're going to get is called Tzimtzum. So here we are. Here we are. What I'd like to do, I'd like to do is skip a little. No, I don't have to skip a little. Autiyot, line 10. Otiyote en simtsumim, at kanot alef, at kanot taf, ach bavonoteno harabim, hadibur gam kein bagalut. So, not only, so, I mean, it's even worse. Not only is dibur simtsum, but we know that dibur is exiled. It's in the exile. Kamosh Katub, there's a pasuk that says, sapru bagoyim. Et quodo, it's only in the world of the non-Jews that you have any relationship to kavod, to the glory of God. And that's what is referenced, God speaking to B'nai Yisrael begalut. 
Lachain Neemar, and this was again a pasuk, Vinigla Kivod Hashem Viraukol Basar Yachtav Kipi Hashem, that Tiber, all the nations of the world can see that because it's a lesser manifestation of God's presence, the Dibur. When the Jews will be redeemed, as Hadibur Gamkein Kibiachol, Yem Hashem Yitbarach. When the people are redeemed, the Dibur, the speech of God, will reconnect to God again. So that Rav Nachman has developed some kind of theological explanation of reality, which is what he felt his obligation was. He was interested in explaining to people who said, how could it be that the first exile, after the Chorban Bayit Rishon, the first exile was 50 years. And here we are in exile for almost, we're talking about the time of Rav Nachman, almost 2,000 years. What was it that we did that was so terrible that the exile that we are suffering from has gone on for so long? And Rav Nachman is trying to explain the difficulty that we have because the further away we get from the Beit HaMikdash, from the center of the service of God, the less we are able to exploit our relationship with God. The less because our relationship to God has become a relationship of dibur, a relationship of letters that are part of the creation. This is all true, he says, but it's not. It's not the relationship that we had at Har Sinai. It's not the relationship that the Avot had. I told you that this is all summarized in a chapter of the Tanya, which if you have a chance, you should take a look at. Chapter 34 in the, in the Tanya. So the Tanya says, I mean, it, it, it's pretty much, I think we can fit it in with Rav Nachman. The Tanya says that the first real relationship with God in the new world was Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, who provided a place for God in this world. A place for God in this world. After that came the Nevi'im. Moshe Rabbeinu, the extraordinary Navi, who received the Torah and built the Mishkan. After that, after the Mishkan became the Mikdash, and the Mikdash was destroyed. And the truth is that the destroyed Mikdash, Mikdash 1, Beit Mikdash number 1, was never resumed. Beit HaMikdash number two was never quite the same as Beit HaMikdash number one. Never quite, never quite the same. And so after that, after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, the Balatanya said, it all morphed into Talmud Torah. That's what we had left. So that's what Rav Nachman is saying, that you have to find a new path. You have to find a new way to reconnect to God in a manner that will enable redemption. That's what Rav Nachman is talking about. I'm in line 12. 
Dibur will reunite with God. Everybody, the Gemara says that everybody has to say, Bishvili Nivra Ha'olam V'chayav Litakno, line 14. And you have to fix it. It's my world and I have to fix it. Tikun. So how do I fix it? Ha'anyanu kach, she'yir'eh, she'ya'aleh kol ha'nitzotzot, she'bekol davar ha'nitzotzot emotiyot, v'chayav litakno, is another word. Nitzotzot. Nitzotzot are sparks. And spark somehow is a word that describes the faulty creation. The light from heaven came into earth. It was supposed to be contained in vessels. And the vessels broke up. They broke up and everything is like, uh, is broken. But if you look carefully at all these broken vessels, which is the whole world, you'll find, you'll find sparks. Sparks of the divine light. And if you collect the sparks, you collect them, then you'll be rebuilding the world that God created. And that's what we have to do, according to, according to Rabbi Nachman. And that's why uh, the Pasuk says, line 12, this is where we were up to. Everybody has to say, the world is mine. Like anything else that belongs to me, I have to fix it. So there you have it. You want to fix the world? This is how you fix the world. Okay, we're not going into it. You know, I mean, the Kabbalists spend a lifetime talking about this. And Rav Nachman is summarizing it. But he's going to get to a point that we're going to appreciate. Uh, now we will skip a little bit. Uh, yeah, skip to line 24. Line 24. Vatsita Tzitz Zahavtahor. So the Rav Nachman said, Tzitz is Mirishon Histaklut. You see, I told you we don't know what words mean. Tzitz, according to Hatzitz, you say in Hebrew, Hatzitz, Bein Acharakim. You look in the window, you look in this side, and that's how you want to look out, but you don't want to be seen. That's called Hatzitz. That's called Hatzitz, to look. So he says, that's what the Pesach is about, Mirishon Histaklut. Mirishon Histaklut, line 25. He says, when the person reaches some level of emuna of faith and chokhmah, then the pasuk continues, you engrave 
on this seats I knew Shetiftach al yidei ayin kaze hanitzotzot achatumim bechol hadvarim v'tale otam kadosh l'Hashem you pitachta alehem you engrave it. What does engraving mean? Well, it takes, you take something out of something. You take something out of what you started from. That's the that sits. And what are you taking out of the gold? The gold of the gold you're taking out nitzotzot. You're taking out the sparks. And by taking out the sparks, you're improving your religious situation vis-a-vis heaven. And that will bring you ultimately to gu'ula, to redemption. And that's Kodesh Lashem. Kodesh Lashem. So you see, Rav Nachman had a somewhat different idea. He looked at it differently, and the result is a little bit different. The tzitz, according to Rav Nachman, is the ultimate uh, uh, object that teaches us what the Arizal was talking about. That if you take the tzitz, and you're able to use it to produce Kiddushah in the world, Kodesh Lashem, and you produce this Kiddushah by collecting the Nitzotzot, the sparks, and the sparks are equal to the letters of the alphabet, which were used by a Kodesh Baruch Hu to make Dibur, to make the speech which enabled the world to be less than it might have been, less perfect than it might have been, but it enables us to grab onto that imperfect world in some way and make it more perfect. And by making it more perfect, by acting in that way, we ensure that we will, we ensure that we will uh, be redeemed. And redemption, redemption is the topic that Rav Nachman of Bratzlov could not get away, could not get away, get away from. You know that... Uh, I'll just leave you with a story. We talked about the fact that the Kabbalist couldn't understand how anybody could deny deny God. So, you know, I think I told you the story. I'll tell it again. It's a good story. Rav Nachman, he came to Uman. He wasn't there very long. It was just a place where he died. But while he was in Uman, he had a certain connection with, the, with people who were not religious. And uh, the, the Hasidim, we didn't have many Hasidim, I think, in those days, but the Hasidim were a little nervous about that. They said, you know, people talk about Rav Nachman, they say he's, he's a little off, like it's strange. Uh, why, why do you keep talking to these non-religious people? And apparently Rav Nachman used to play chess with the doctor. So I told you, I think I told you the story. A doctor, a doctor in those days went to University of Warsaw. Right? Rav Nachman was in Ukraine, Ukraina, right? Someplace in between Kiev and Odessa is Oman. So Rav Nachman would go to the doctor's house and he would play chess with him on his back porch. So far that seems a little innocuous, but the Hasidim said, what are you doing? You know, Rebbe, you're supposed to be sitting and learning Torah. You're supposed to be giving out, you know, great advice to people. What are you sitting in, uh, in, 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 and learning uh, and, and uh, playing chess? 
with the doctor. Now, you know that the doctors in those days were all non-religious. But in order to become a doctor, you had to go to the university. And if you went to the University of Poland in Warsaw, you couldn't really go to the heads of the university and say, look, I'm Shomer Shabbos, I don't want to take the test. And if you make me take the test, I'll sue you. It didn't work that way. If you went to university, you did what they told you to do, because that was the deal. That was the deal. The second deal was they didn't want the Jews to be doctors in, you know, in their place, in the big cities, in well-known locations. So they took the Jews as doctors, but tonight, with the condition that they would go back to their hometown and become, become doctors. Because that was their, they didn't want to send Goyim to a Jewish town, and they didn't want the Jews to go to a non-Jewish city. So that's how, they, that's how they did it. So the doctors were always non-religious. After going to medical school, where you couldn't be Shomer Shabbos, it was a little hard to, to remain re religious. So the Hasidim said to Rav Nachman, the Hasidim said to Rav Nachman, what are you doing? We have had enough trouble with public relations. A lot of people don't like you. So why are you doing things that make even more people dislike you? Question. So Nachman said, I don't understand how anybody can say he doesn't have a father or a mother. In other words, he could not understand. He could understand that people would do Averot. He says, you know, people have weaknesses. People are not able to live up to the standard. They do Averot. But how could a person be what we call today an atheist? How could a person think that he comes from nowhere, that he was immaculately conceived? He said that he didn't understand, and that's what he was talking to the doctor, to the doctor about. So you see again, you see again, Rav Nachman looks at this pasuk that says Kodesh Lashem about the tzitz, about the tzitz, and he sees in it a world, a world that when you say that, it does something for B'nai Yisrael. It creates a standard of Kedushah for B'nai Yisrael. The Nachman says, you know what that means? That means that tzitz enables us to fix the world. That's, where, that's why we're here. We're here for tikkun olam. Tikkun olam in the most elementary fashion. The world that was created has to be fixed because the kalim, the vessels that were intended to hold the light from heaven were broken and the nitzotzot escaped. And they have to be collected as was originally intention, intended. And that's our job. Our job is to collect those nitzotzot. The way we collect those nitzotzot seems to be by doing what the Torah 